0: Hello and welcome back to another edition of the Holtcast. Cole Petham here as always. And of course, we're finally back for another opposition match preview ahead of this weekend's game at the Amex Stadium against Brighton and Hove. Albion, of course, for the Villa faithful listening to this, it hasn't been a easy going as of late so hopefully uh we can get some kind of positive result to start turning things around to quiet some of the naysayers that think uh stephen gerrard isn't the man for the job but anyways of course to make any sense of anything brighton and hove albion we do need a brighton fan uh to speak to me because my knowledge of brighton is extremely limited so hopefully he can uh expand my horizons in terms of the happenings and goings on at Brighton and of course that is Charlie Halfden. Um, and he of course is on the Let's Talk Brighton and Hove Albion podcast. You can find him on Twitter at Jerno Half of course. So without further ado Charlie how's it going for you? Yeah I'm all good how are you doing? Uh, not too bad it's uh, it's a Thursday of course we're recording this everyone will hear this on the Friday so a hectic day for me midday but Nonetheless, it's, a, it's another day in this wonderful uh, world of ours and hopefully it gets a little bit better this weekend, uh, hopefully for one of us at least. But regardless of that, let's dive in with the whole Brighton perspective first, of course, because that's why we like to do um, these podcasts in particular. So, what do you make of Brighton season so far, because I think I was looking at uh, your results throughout the season last night, and I think you guys started what with four out of uh, four to five wins initially in the Premier League. So starting yeah. a little bit of a barn burner, I guess as a whole, how have you kind of what have you made of your season?
1: Yeah, I mean, if you ignore the last two games, we've been defensively catastrophic. I'd say that we've had a brilliant defensive season and we've come through with some quite tight victories at the right times. Um, Too many draws is one thing to mention. 12 out of 25 games being drawn. I mean, that's just outrageous, isn't it? But at least they're not losses is kind of how we're seeing it from our perspective. Before those last two games, we only lost four in 23, which was actually, I think, um, only Chelsea, Liverpool and Man City had lost fewer in that period so from that perspective absolutely brilliant and trying to get results against the likes of Liverpool is just incredible and matching Chelsea on two occasions and drawing two games where of course they're the European champions at the start of the season a lot of people thought well they could potentially be Premier League champions this year and we've matched them Um, on a number of occasions recently so yeah very exciting to be in the top half of the majority of the season so far as well is just incredible considering how far we've come since you know um, the late 90s where we nearly fell through as a football club altogether, to battle through the divisions to get back up to where we are we're just thankful to be in the Premier League let alone the top half so I mean we uh, we don't take it for granted that's for sure.
0: Yeah, absolutely, of course, and when I think of when Brighton came up under Chris Hughton and kind of every season under him, it was a bit of a struggle, and just the kind of adaptation from management in between him, of course, uh, Graham Potter. Now it's completely night and day, to be honest. Of course, it's a completely different brand of football everyone can see, and with the players you guys are bringing in right now, it's a, it's definitely a good time to be a Brighton fan, but I, I guess when you look at Graham Potter, Potter's I guess, um, length of work at Brighton so far, what do you make of it? Because I feel like, and I can't remember which game it was this season, if it was the draw against Norwich or it was uh, the one, all draw against Newcastle where um, a few Brighton fans, or I guess maybe some in the stadium were very kind of not distasteful, but weren't really happy with maybe how things were going at that certain time. And then I think grandpa Potter gave them a little bit of a, a calm down shush gesture, Um, to say basically, look how good things are right now. But um, what do you make of the man himself? Of course, we know his ties with Villa as a fan and all that kind of stuff, and that's to one side. But he's done a pretty darn good job, you'd have to say, wouldn't
1: he? Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, regarding the booing situation and the one that he mentioned in his press conferences saying, look how far we've come it was a very small proportion of Brighton fans it did disappoint me that it happened though um, of course if any fans are going to boo the media is going to blow it completely out of proportion I think that did happen but even so like there are there is a very small proportion of fans that obviously aren't appreciating the distance we've come in such a short period of time and I mean my message to them is please do appreciate it, don't take it for granted, we're in the top half of the Premier League, we've only spent a matter of less than a week outside of it this season which considering we're 25 games in 26 for some clubs it's just absolutely outrageous for a club of our size so they need to stop doing that basically um, but Graham Potter as a manager it's he's transformed our football club since Chris Houston was here everyone loved Hewton and obviously getting us promoted we were I think 22nd in the championship when he took over from Sammy Hippier Sammy Hippier had ruined our brand of football from uh, beforehand under Gus Poye and Oscar Garcia and we were relegation candidates nearly going down to League One but took he took over around New Year time, and I think that was 2014, I want to say, around that kind of time, and uh, brought us up to the Premier League within two seasons. Amazing. And had a good start, you know, keeping us up for a couple of years. But his brand of football was boring, and lots of teams would label it similar, I suppose, to how Burnley are, with defending quite a lot and going on the counter-attack with long ball. Under Potter... It's all possession style. It's fast moving. It's full backs, wing backs, three at the back, five at the back, whatever you want to call it. It's modern football and it's exciting to watch. And not only that, it is finally starting to click into some results as well. Obviously, forgetting the last two results we've had, you look at the season as a major success. And a lot of that is down to the brand of football we play and because of Graham Potter. And I suppose you've set up as well, if you're interested in that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And it's interesting to think of where Brighton were last season to this season. Of course, um, your SG or XG, I should say, um, nerds out there that live and die by that kind of stuff. All love to them if they listen to this podcast, of course, but, um, you guys are basically almost one of the top clubs in terms of that. It just wasn't really converting into actual goals. And I, I can think of our uh, Villas game away at the Amex last season where Emmy Martinez literally stood on his head. And I still don't know, to this day, how that game remained nil-nil, to be honest, with a number of fantastic saves. Um, It's nice to see teams that can actually kind of take that statistic and now convert it into actual proof that it's working. So when you're looking at recent results, of course, two losses on the bounce now, and it's been a little bit more of a bumpy ride. When you're switching into kind of where Brighton are now and maybe what your hopes and dreams and expectations for the fan base are going for the rest of the season, Where does that kind of sit? Because, I mean, I know Villa have been there in the past. Many clubs have been there where you're you're kind of, say, ninth, 10th, 11th, and you think, you know what, we can really push on. And maybe you look at teams above and you look at how maybe, I wouldn't say expansive their squad is, but there's definitely a little bit more depth. Where do you kind of sit with that and where do you think Brighton will kind of end up near the end of the
1: season? Okay, well, at the start of the season, a lot of us wanted us to progress from being a club finishing 14th, 15th, 16th on around 40 points to maybe reaching about 50, potentially. We thought that might be realistic with the expected goal stat, as you mentioned from last year, the expected points. We could have finished in the top six if we'd uh, taken advantage of all of our opportunities. But we thought, okay, if we can approach the top half, we'll be really happy. And I stay with that. I remain with that. If you'd asked me two games to go before the United and Burnley, I mean, United, I think we were quite unfortunate after playing so well in the first half. We had our red card early in the second half, of course, Ronaldo taking advantage of Basuma giving the ball away. If it wasn't for a couple of minutes of play, really, we could have easily got a point from that game. And then the Burnley one, well, I'm not sure what happened there. There was no um, Adam Webster, no dunk because he was suspended. That certainly didn't help us. Um, and, we, and we lost 3-0 on the day. But before those, we were probably thinking Maybe we could get European football, Europa Conference League now, of course, being a competition and I think eighth place able to qualify for that. So that looked quite promising. But now we are six points away from that eighth place. And that is Tottenham Hotspur, who've just beaten Man City. Yeah, they've lost to Burnley too, but... I mean, you'd imagine with a manager like um, Antonio Conte and having a strike force and depth they do, they're going to motor away from us. So I think it's quite unrealistic now, to be honest, to look at Europe this year. But to finish in the top half would be our goal, and we'd all be very happy with that. Apart from the very few fans who are a bit fickle and want European football for some reason.
0: Oh, of course. I I think there's this... Well, there definitely is this mentality in uh, any professional sport nowadays where... You can spend millions and millions, and I think some fans eventually, and I I mean, sometimes I get like that too, where I think, oh, you know what, they should have signed this player versus that, and you kind of sit back and think, you know what, it's not my money, Um, so maybe (laughs) I don't have as much input as I'd really like to in that, of course, but nonetheless, when you kind of sit back and look at it, say if you finish ninth, what's, I guess, When you look at Brighton and where they've come from, and of course, I I know all too well with being in the championship and how frustrating it can be at times and things not going your way and the glories of promotion, of course, and knowing you do not want to go back to those days anytime soon. When you look at that and you look at finishing ninth, do you think going into even next season, forecasting a little bit even further ahead, do you think there's potential for Brighton to even crack into the top eight, six, seven, really?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's, it's definitely a potential. Um, I think it's been hurt a lot by losing Dan Ashworth, our technical director to Newcastle. It's not gone through yet, but it's going to. Of course, with the financial powers they have, you can't blame him for making the move. A lot of people have been upset with him and saying he's going all for the money. But I mean, as a technical director, to have nearly unlimited pockets apart from financial fair play, you're always going to take that opportunity. Uh, he was so crucial in our progression as a football club, for our recruitments, with our... Um, focus on youth players coming through and signing them from various countries such as Poland and uh, Japan and some really random countries. Actually, we've got scouting systems. A lot of that was down to, to Dan Ashworth. So losing him is massive. And I think it, removes a little bit of a draw for players coming in as well. Um, unfortunately, we haven't signed a big name striker like we've wanted to and been calling for for a few years. But having the likes of Neil Mope, they've settled and they've scored a decent amount of goals. Um, yeah, it depends. It really depends on whether we keep hold of key players like Yves Basuma and Tarek Lamptey, Mark Kukurea, Adam Webster. I think Dunk will stay now, but all of those I've listed have been linked with big money moves of fifty million pounds or so to, to bigger clubs. So. I mean, you can't blame them for leaving Basuma. especially. He's got 12 months on his contract in the summer, so he could go for 25 million, and he's been touted with you guys at Aston Villa. If you're pushing on and you're signing the likes of Philippe Coutinho, I think he's going to want to sign. And Steven Gerrard being a a world-class midfielder back in the day, I'm sure Basuma would probably look up to someone like that and would fancy a move. So, yeah, going back to your question, it depends on who we keep hold of and our transfer business in the summer, but I, th- I think we can stay around mid-table for a year or two and then crack on it. I wouldn't be too displeased. Okay, so
0: if we're sticking with the recruitment theme with Brighton, of course, and like we said, with the whole change and in- in that kind of mythology, is there any concern that, I guess, I wouldn't say with the comings and goings, there might be kind of a lack of quality potentially kind of coming in now with the change above. Is, is there is there any concern of
1: that, really? Kind of, yeah, because I think having someone like Dan Ashworth is a massive pull for players because they know the project is there and the project for us is kind of bringing in a lot of youth, as I was kind of mentioning, and and bringing in youth for the future. It might not be players that we want right now. For example, a lot of us have been calling out for a striker. That's not happened. But having people coming in who will give us the next couple of years or three, four, five years, even if they don't become senior players for us, they'll at least kind of potentially give us a profit if we loan them out and they start performing well in clubs like the championship ben white for instance only played one full season for brighton in the premier league but he'd been so impressed on loan at leeds he'd already built up a reputation doing that kind of thing was something that dan ashworth was so good at and i think people in this country especially players in this country will notice that and will have noticed that but i suppose players from foreign divisions might not really realize that and just kind of see it on paper, as it is, Bryson, a Premier League club, have finished, let's say, 8th or ninth at the end of this season. OK, that's still a really good place for me to go, so I'll join. So it really depends, I think, on the, on the individual players. But I think it will hinder us in terms of our future development. And having such a mastermind at the club before that is now gone, I think it will really hurt.
0: Yeah, that, that's fair. Of course, uh, as a Villa fan, I, I know of uh, directors of football and personnel within a club that can be very poor and make very poor signings, so hopefully that's <laughs> not the case for Brighton, and uh, I don't want to get too much PTSD from thinking about Villa's uh, past for uh, the, pr- the pre-Premier League days in terms of the championship days and the Premier League days before but anyways that's it. that's another story for another day that does not need to be uh Holy retold podcast, huh? oh Jesus it could be probably 20 new podcasts when I think about <laughs> it to be honest but um let's let's dive right into the game why don't we Charlie at this point of course and Brighton and Villa against one another has always been kind of an interesting subject at least when I speak to other Villa fans and uh, of course, the ethos change under, like I said before, with Graham Potter, it's much more attack minded and um, you're expecting to have much more of the ball further up the pitch and under Stephen Gerrard, it's kind of definitely been a completely different ethos compared to Dean Smith. Of course, Dean Smith liked to play attacking football from time to time, but loves to use the fullbacks and kind of have the players express themselves a little bit more um, as so, as since he's really come in and now we're seeing a little bit of downtick in terms of performances and results and struggling to score. Of course, the losing to both Newcastle and Watford will do that to your confidence, of course, Um, especially seeing um, Watford lose 4-1 to Palace last night. That'll kind of do my head in a little bit more to wonder how we didn't at least get one goal, but going into this game from a brain perspective how are you feeling about it
1: yeah i'm feeling uh it's mixed really it's a real mixed bag because our two lo- last results are sooner lost lost united a 3 0 loss to burnley of course you losing one 0 games back to back against newcastle and watford like as you say watford conceded four to crystal palace last night how on earth did you not get a goal past them i have no idea so that gives me a bit of encouragement i'm not gonna lie We've both not scored in either of our last two games. Does that mean we're going to get a nil-nil? I mean, we love to draw a game, don't we? 12 out of 25 being draws. It could definitely happen. I think it'll be tight. I think us being at home will really help. Um, we didn't enjoy our trip to Villa Park this time around, losing 2 nil in Stephen Gerald's first game. I think that new manager boost as well would have really helped them. And having such a massive figure like Stephen Gerrard come into a club you want to impress from the off and whatever the new manager is you want to impress to ensure you keep your place in the team. So that's probably what gave you the edge last time and it was like a five or ten minute phase of play as well like on yeah, balance yeah. that could have either that could have gone to us that game in all fairness in my opinion so yeah I think it's going to be close again a battle of the midfields considering our systems are quite similar um, do you send a pair of four at the back or do you have three at the back you said a lot about wing backs.
0: Well, they're, they're fullbacks that basically play wing back, essentially. That's what it feels like these days. So with Matty Cash right. and Luca Dean, um, you'll see, especially on heat maps nowadays, where they're essentially sometimes even further than the likes of Danny Ings or Ollie Watkins at times. So a lot of our width and attacking kind of edge comes from that. You'll see a little bit in the midfield where maybe Coutinho and Badia will produce a bit of magic and all that kind of stuff and we've seen that against Leeds and of course the comeback against United to draw two all there but yeah a lot of things go through them and to be honest I've kind of been wondering with our issues as of late why we just don't play a back three but nonetheless, it is one of those things that's a little frustrating. but when you look at Brighton going into this game in particular and you look at the likes of Neil mopai and of course he's a he's a physical specimen, of course he he likes to get in there and uh, have a little word with people. We've of course seen that in the highlights against uh, Arsenal in the past, and I could probably name a bunch of other teams that I can think of, and even in his Brentford days as well. he's not afraid to kind of get dirty per se. so, when you look at how Villa are performing as of late with him and kind of being in and out of form at times, do you think this is the ideal game for him?
1: Yeah, I, th- I think it could be. You know, he didn't start the other game at Villa Park, came on in the 79th minute, which is actually ironically just before he scored your two goals. <laughs> so I, I doubt it would have been his fault. He was up the other end of the pitch, but someone like him, his aggression, um, he's the kind of player that you don't want to be having against you but you love on your team a bit like Jack Grealish really I suppose for you I'm not sure how you feel about him now but (laughs) no comment (laughs) (laughs) no comment on that one but before it must have been a case of you loved having him and how great he was against other teams and others didn't like the way he dived around and and won free kicks i mean he's very good at it it's one of his best attributes but you know what i mean like for you it must have been great but for other teams not so and that's the case with neil Mope. it's so you love to have on your team and I, I really hope he can get back to form he is so inconsistent he misses sitters somehow yet scores bicycle kicks and flicks um half volleys off his shin into the top corner uh, it's it's really bizarre with him and that's why we need a proper goal scorer but for the moment he, he is great and he should be able to cause problems looking at the wing back situation as you mentioned it's more of a back four that means really surely you've only got a couple of players back. I suppose someone like McGinn maybe drop back to help out. But i have been looking at that as Graham Potter to exploit that with Marco Correa and Tarek Lamptey and Trostard and the likes to when you guys have just had a counter-attack or, or an attack from some possession and if say it broke down and we were able to press and get back that. I mean, someone like Lamptey in particular is brilliant in getting in beyond. And if we can just make sure we fill the six-yard box with attackers at times, that could really hurt you. And even Lamptey himself for they they like to nick it well Kukareya hasn't scored yet but they like to nick a chance themselves so I definitely look to exploit that
0: yeah absolutely it, it's an interesting one really because um I guess space behind our fullbacks as of late well particularly probably more so Luka Dean more than Matty Cash Matty Cash actually has done pretty well at tracking back and all that kind of stuff it basically forces whether it's douglas well basically it has to be douglas louise or maybe even callum chambers now maybe he'll get a go at defensive mid at this point it basically forces them to kind of go out to say the left or the right and kind of exposes the center backs to kind of shift over maybe not so comfortably so when you think of the likes of kukarela or of course uh tariq Lamptey, that's uh that's something that i didn't think about before and i'm a little more nervous especially with the pace and trickery that those two have and the ability I so. to cycle the way. ball yeah,
1: It goes away because they're so keen to get forward that we're then left a little bit exposed at the back. Without Adam Webster, he's actually a major doubt for this one. He's had a bit of a setback, you'll be pleased to hear. <laughs> Didn't have him, of course, against Burnley. And that was huge. Didn't have Dunk either. And we had to play with, with Duffy and Veltman, I believe it was, in our two centre-backs. So... And we might not play a back three either, by the way. It could be a back four. It really depends on what Graham Potter decides on the day. He switches up against every opposition, which is why, for one of the reasons, we're quite difficult to play against. Um, say we did play a back three, we haven't got our best centre-back available, in my opinion, at the moment, is Adam Webster. Even though Dunk seems to always get the headlines and deservedly so, being a brilliant leader and captain throughout the years, Webster this year has been above and beyond in terms of his ball-playing potential as well. So it probably will be a back four. Um, losing Losing Dan Byrne as well. Of course, having him before in a squad was so useful, and losing him to Newcastle is, is, a, is a huge loss to us and hinders us trying to play a back three.
0: Yeah, we experienced the wonderfulness of Dan Byrne only a couple of weeks ago. Um, I think he took part of uh, Tyrone Ming's shirt home with him if you haven't seen that photo. But, anyways, uh, it, I have. A I good have.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Dan Byrne, love that.
0: Well, he, he is a very tall physical specimen and one I won't miss from a, a Brighton perspective for sure, but you've kind of touched on the injuries and I think I was reading a few things um, on Twitter from some of the uh, journalists putting things out in terms of injuries and the likes of, uh, I think, was it Lewis Dunk potentially being back? And of course, you said Adam Webster is a bit of a question mark as of right now. Would you say kind of Brighton's biggest weakness going into this game is the uncertainty of some players not being fit or is there still kind of a few tweaks in the system that you think you know what this area or this area could be have at or have that i should say
1: <laughs> i think it's a defense as i say not having webster we just do look a bit shaky without him at the moment which is a real shame and especially playing out from the back we look we lost the ball on the- quite a couple of occasions against uh, Manchester united and one of the cases was eve basuma who seems to never make a mistake even he was being a bit shaky gave the ball away to McTominay, went across to ronaldo and he punished us of course being one of the greatest footballers of all time you're going to do that is Danny Ings gonna be so clinical maybe someone like Philippe Coutinho could be so that is something I'd look to exploit is pressing us um, a bit of a counter press in the midfield and pushing on and countering us I was saying about us countering you on the overlap you can counter us and exploit our centre backs because at the moment not to inform And, and Lewis Dunk after being injured for quite a while and then coming back getting suspended right away and then coming back again He's not going to be at full sharpness, I don't think. So, yeah, I'd look to exploit the centre backs for sure. Fair enough. Well, it
0: should be a battle of the fullbacks tomorrow, potentially, to see <laughs> to see who wins. And you know, you never know. Maybe it'll come down to another five or ten minutes of madness. Because it's funny you bring that up. Because you are right in thinking of that, and that's how we beat Everton earlier in the season as well. Um, it seems like we da- like to have little spurts. And uh, I guess the one benefit for uh, Brighton kind of coming into this is we seem to play one half of football and the other one we go missing. So we never know what Villa we're going to get. But at the end of the day, what uh, professional football club plays a perfect 90 minutes, maybe aside from uh, Man City these days. But uh, regardless of that, Charlie, I'm going to push you for a very, testing question. Could I get a score prediction from you, please?
1: Okay. Wow. Um, difficult, actually. Uh, I said about nil-nil before, jokingly. I do think it will be a draw. I think it will be 1-1. I think it will be a battle of the of the fullbacks. So I think we'll both be exploited at times, and that's how the goals will come. But we'll, it'll be a very tight fixture, hopefully, anyway, and give a good uh, good performance for the Amex fans, hopefully, anyway.
0: Yeah, absolutely. As long as it's not nil-nil, we need a little bit of excitement, a little bit of yeah. uh, a panic in our hearts to kind of drive ourselves a little bit crazy at football at the end of the day. Um, you know what? I'll go one all as well. I was thinking two, two, but that might be too bold. And I don't know if I want to kind of go through that annoyance or pain a little bit too much, especially if one side's two nil down or something like that, then it's maybe a little bit more sorrow for the other and a little bit more uh, happiness or slight frustration for the other. But uh, nonetheless, we'll have to see how it all plays out at the weekend, of course. But anyways, Charlie, if people want to find you guys and what you guys do, where can they find you?
1: Yep. So um, the Let's Talk BHAFC podcast is on all podcasting platforms. You can find them on Twitter as well, at Let's Talk BHAFC. My personal Twitter, my journalistic Twitter is at journo Half, which is F at the end. So yeah, you can find me there. I do a lot of tweeting about um, stats in particular. So there'll probably be some stats before the game you can have a look at.
0: Absolutely. Well, thank you very much for coming on. You've been a, a very much so pleasure to deal with. I should say um, it's always great to talk to fans that like to have a little bit of a chat and see where things go in terms of uh, playfulness prior to a match day. Cause you can get some that are a little bit more feisty than others, but uh, nonetheless, we'll have to wait and see what happens on the weekend. Like I said previously, so we'll leave things there. Everyone. Thank you very much for listening. Of course, you can find me on Twitter at talk to Billy can tweet the team at 7,500 to Holt email, the podcast Holtcast at gmail.com we should be back early monday morning for the recap of the brighton game on the weekend hopefully an entertaining and positive result but we'll have to wait and see for that and if it's a negative one you know what you're going to get from us but uh, it'll be a little bit of a ranting and a raving but anyways we'll leave it there and don't forget up the villa